Katie. And I'm Georgie. Coming to you with chats about all aspects of design, creativity and its influence on life. Can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop. This is Creative Clinks. Hi and welcome to episode 12 of Creative Clinks. Today we are chatting with Chef Paul Yoda Isco, owner of the incredible Western Australian pop-up roaming restaurant Fervor. Paul has spent the last nine years roaming the most remote corners of WA, connecting people to country and Indigenous culture through his creations. And I, for one, Paul, must say that I'm a little bit fangirling right now. (laughs) We are so thrilled to have you on, Paul. Welcome to Creative Clinks. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now I need to ask, do we call you Yoda or Paul? Well, most people uh, know me as Yoda. (laughs) I like to think it's because I'm wise and old, but it's because of the big ears under, under my beanie. (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, when I first started my apprenticeship down uh, in Margaret River in the southwest, no one knew my real name was Paul. It was just Yoda for, for the first <laughs> couple of years. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of just stuff, you know, as well as friends, but family call me Yoda as well. I'm a bit of a hardcore, not hardcore, there's people more hardcore than me. I love Star Wars. I spent my 20th birthday at the museum for the costume exhibition for Star Wars. So <laughs> when I saw that it was Yoda, I was like... Hmm, I wonder. (laughs) Georgie, we digress, we digress. Paul, this happens a lot here, so get used to it. (laughs) Georgie, let's kick this off. So pretty much one of my key questions that I really wanted to delve into with you was what really sparked your chef venture? Was it something within your creativity as a kid that you had that exposure to cooking when you were growing up or is it something you've just found along the way? Yeah, so I guess my journey into cooking didn't start till I was about 19, 20. I, I finished school and for the, a year after that, I did a pre-apprenticeship, so engineering production, and, and was looking at uh, air conditioning and refrigeration and, and doing an apprenticeship. You know, ever since a young age, about that, I think about 12 or 13, I was really into to surfing or, or bodyboarding. And that was all that I really wanted to do was to surf, get in the water. Um, I was really into music as well, but but surfing was the main thing. And, you know, in our household, the the family dinner was a really important time for everybody. We'd sit down and talk about a day and, and share dinner together. But, you know, there wasn't like a rich cooking history in our family. My mum's mum used to cook quite a bit at home and was a, was a great cook. And mum and dad were both good cooks, but it's not like we grew up with, you know, these beautiful veggie gardens and we're all there making, you know, pasta all the time or it, it was just like good, good, wholesome food. But the main thing was sitting around the dinner table together. Starting cooking at about the age of 19, I fell into it. I then moved to a farm in Yellingup and I was working on the farm because he'd ran out of work and it was great because I just surfed every morning and, and then work on the farm, just odd jobs, fixing fences, helping shearing the sheep. All, all those kind of things. And they said to me one afternoon, hey, Yoda, there's a, a job going in town. It's a it's a cooking apprenticeship. And before you say anything, they saw me like this weird look on my face, like I, I can't cook, like I can't even, I can't, I can't cook noodles, I can't cook anything, you know? Yeah. And they said, just hear us out. It's a chef's apprenticeship, but you don't have to start work until 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And you only work nights. That leaves a whole day free to surf. And I just said, Okay, give me the number. I'm I'm going to do this. <laughs> so, 
that's that's how I got into cooking, and it was through through surfing. You know, up until that stage, I I would surf literally every day that was possible for me to surf. You know, when that job opportunity came, working at night time and surfing during the day, I was just like, "Yep, this is great." Yeah, wow. So you just kind of stumbled into it, really, in the end. Yeah, and here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, like it took me a little while to get into cooking. Um, I always worked at really nice places and really enjoyed the work that I was doing. But it was, you know, five or six years in where I really became passionate about it. And then the surfing was sort of put on the back burner a little bit. Yeah, wow. And did you have any kind of creative outlet? Like it sounds like surfing was one of your main outlets growing up. Did you have any other creative outlet that you took to during that time or was it just kind of you fell into cooking and then really found, oh, wow, I can do a lot here and and found that passion for it? I think with surfing, it really sort of um, found around surfing is what I was into. So a lot of skating, music. I I loved music. We used to go to a lot of shows and stuff back in the day. I was never, you know, this great musician or anything like that, but I just used to love going and you know, seeing bands and supporting our friends who are in bands as well. And with the surfing kind of thing, I, you know, spent a lot of time in the southwest of Western Australia and the south coast. So there was a lot of these surf spots that we'd either have to fall, drive to or walk through the forest and bushland. And for me, I think that's what's really stuck is getting out in nature, exploring, seeing the coastline, walking around that next headland to explore and deserted beaches to ourselves. You know, looking looking at the cooking that we're doing now, I realised that we've been walking past this food ever since I was a little kid surfing, but I just hadn't really known about it. So I guess creativity side would just be, you know, getting out and about in nature and, and also find now if I do get in the water that I'm thinking more about cooking and food and that really helps me tie into food or what we might be doing at the next event. Yeah, cool. And Paul, what was that turning point when you talk about you didn't find that passion for cooking until maybe six years in? Can you pinpoint that that moment where it turned from just cooking to, oh my gosh, I'm really great at this and I actually want to do something with this. Yeah, so I'd finished my apprenticeship. I'd done four years and I'd worked at some some really great places and, and really enjoyed my time doing that. And then I'd worked in this little, I guess, more fine dining restaurant in the South Coast. And I read this book, My View, which is um, a Shannon Bennett book, a very, mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, a very famous chef. And reading that book really changed everything I thought about food and, and what was achieved. What. Wow. And I'd never cooked in a restaurant of that caliber or really heard of a lot of these things. So that was a big turning point for me just reading that book and it wasn't too long after that that I stepped into a kitchen in Perth a musée and Hadley and Caroline they were partners a family-run business they'd just come back from working in Melbourne and and also the UK and opening some great restaurants and the food and what they were doing the the whole package of the restaurant was was mind-blowing to me and that was a real turning point working with Hadley in the kitchen and seeing what Caroline was doing, you know, out on the, the floor in the restaurant. And I was like, okay, well, I'm locked in. Let's learn as much as I can over the next few years. And that was, yeah, that was a big turning point. Obviously not everyone can be a great cook or, or chef. So there must have been something in you that nurtured your direction into becoming who you are now. Yeah. I don't think I do have a great talent 
at cooking. Um, I just think that when I first started, I, I had a desire to learn whatever I was doing from a very young age. I just wanted to get really good at it and I wanted to learn from the best. And, and if I was doing something, really dive in. So when it got to the point where I was working in Perth at a muse, you know, we were doing long hours and it was hard work, but I just loved every minute of that. This energy in the kitchen, there was like pressure, there was, you know, it was there was the excitement of the unknown, the the recipes were changing all the time. And Hadley was just he was an incredible chef. So for me I was just I was soaking it all in and and I'd go home after a, a long day at work and I'd just read cookbooks and, and look at stuff on the internet and I just really took a deep dive into cooking it, it just continues on cooking is one of those great things where you know you can learn as much as you think you can about a cuisine and then you start all over again like italian and, and mexican and indonesian it's all totally different so that's what's really exciting about it as you stepped up your game and being able to really improve your cooking skills did you bring that home as well and kind of take the reins of okay I'm going to create this great food to start great conversation with the family and keep that connection there. Yeah, definitely. And and I think with the food that we're cooking nowadays, it is so important for us to spend time on country, learn about the foods, where they come from, but also the stories behind them because there, there are a lot of significant and really special stories about certain foods. And we've got a, a little fellow who's just over three we really love getting him out in nature to teach him about food and where it comes from and those stories. And then coming back home, cooking it together, and then sitting out, sitting down at the dinner table to talk about that whole process. It's such an important thing to, to know where our food comes from and how special it is. If we're eating meat, which we don't eat a whole heap of meat at home, but when we do, it's really important to see the life of that animal and be able to give it the respect that it deserves. So with our family, we we love to really cook good, wholesome food and sit around the table and talk about what we're eating and, and why we're eating it as well. Yeah, wow. And do you have any influence in your heritage, I guess, for how you really behave around food and, and giving that respect to where it's deserved? Are you Indigenous at all or do you have any family heritage that kind of links back to that? No, so... Personally, I'm not Indigenous. My dad grew up in South Australia. He grew up on a station and he had a lot of Aboriginal friends as kids. He had a a few brothers and sisters and they just went to a small school, but his parents and his grandparents had had quite a good relationship with Aboriginal people over in South Australia. And I think we were brought up with dad being very respectful about Indigenous culture and, and learning about that from from a young age. I think for us, like when we first started further to coming almost up to 10 years now, we've just learned so much. And and for us, that is one of the most important things is spending time on country. And, you know, now it's not even about, we used to want to go out and get ingredients and taste them and all those kind of things. But for us, it's more important now to just be out on country, learn about where we are, get to know the place, get to know the people. If we get a bunch of ingredients, that's that's a bonus, but it's about having that connection and learning. And the last 10 years has been a huge, huge learning curve for us. Yeah, wow. 
feel like I'm going to have to edit a lot of this very soon because I'm taking very deep breaths here while I'm listening to you talk. (laughs) But this is in a good way. I'm almost a little bit teary. Anyway, I'm I'm a little bit teary because just hearing you talk, I'm just listening and it just feels, I guess, very authentic and very genuine from a place of the heart, which I don't know, I guess in in a lot of industries in general, whether it's creative or not, it's very easy to lose where that passion came from or that it just becomes a job, that it's not necessarily something that actually has meaning or or like you say, connection. And just hearing how grounded you are and, and especially having that better perspective, it's definitely really refreshing and, you know, look, blown me away and like, oh my God, I'm hanging on to every word you've got. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Let's move on, I guess, to Fervor and what it's really all about. Yeah, so we're based in Bustleton, a few hours south of Perth. We do events all over WA, so the Great Southern, Goldfields, Pilbara, Kimberley, Gascoyne region, and then into the Northern Territory and a few events on the East Coast and overseas. We're quite lucky, we're extremely lucky to be able to do what we do, but when we first started, we were only cooking for 30 people each night. And, you know, we try and keep it quite small and intimate. You know, at the moment, a, a really nice number is about 42 people at a dinner. So we're able to travel to a region. You know, the, the Great Southern compared to the Kimberley, we have totally different ingredients to work with. And we really try and focus on what's available in that region and also in season. When we go up to, let's say the Pilbara, for instance, we're up, we're up there in a few weeks' time. And each time we go to the Pilbara, we do events in Karajini and we do events in Karatha, which is on the coast. And if we go to Karatha, we'll go and spend time with uh, Clinton Walker. He's a Yinjibandi man. He loves going above and beyond. So, you know, when we go out with Clinton, he's like, we're getting enough food for the dinners. We're getting you all the ingredients. We'll go out and we'll get bush coconut, native lemongrass, bush tomatoes, cockles, um, long bums, uh, oysters. We've got, he's got a goanna before. Wow. All these incredible ingredients. And with our dinners, we normally do, say, six canapes, eight seated courses, and then some petty fours. So that's a lot of ingredients to try and highlight one main ingredient for that many tastings. That's like, you know, close to 20 different bites of food throughout the evening. Wow. We can talk to Clinton before we go up and he can say, yeah, there's wattle seed and we've got the native lemongrass and there's a bunch of things that we know we can get. But sometimes, you know, the seasons are different. Like there's been a few years ago, there was big droughts and we didn't, there was a lot of ingredients we couldn't get. So we always have backups and in the kitchen in Bustleton, we usually do prep before we head north. So you know, there's a lot of drying of ingredients. We do a lot of fermentation. There's a lot of pickling. There's there's a lot of stuff that we can do prior to, to heading to a location so that if we get up there and, you know, there is no lemongrass, we've, we've got a backup for that. It's one of those great things that, you know, if we're in the gold fields, we're just going to use, we're going to use honey ants when we're in the gold fields, but we're not going to use honey ants, you know, when we're in the Kimberley. We try and stay true to the regions and what's available there. And how much planning? It sounds like there's got to be so much planning involved with, like, do you go back to the exact same areas every time so you're versed on what to expect when with ingredients and gathering? We do head back to 
the same regions a lot of the time, but we try and pick a new location for each dinner. We have a pretty good understanding of ingredients in Western Australia. In saying that, there's still hundreds, if not thousands, that we still haven't tried. So we're still continuing to learn. With our North Tour, which normally happens uh, sort of middle of the year, we we start off down in Bustleton and, and drive through the Pilbara, Kimberley into the Northern Territory and then all the way back down. So over 20,000 kilometres in about a two to two and a half month period. And it ranges from about 12 to 20 dinners. Just to organise that North Tour, we plan for a full year. To plan for a 20-course meal is, that's big, but that is a small percentage of our organisation. All the hard, all the tricky and all the time-consuming stuff goes on before that even happens. So logistics of getting the food, the the truck, the car up there, um, because we normally drive the truck up, which carries everything to do a 10-course dinner for up to 50 people in in the paddock. So that has tables, chairs, tablecloths, glassware, cutlery, crockery, fridges, freezers, absolutely everything. Wow. Before we go up, there's, I think I had a look at a list the other day and there was over 600 things that we need to tick off before we go up and do that. And that's before we even think about the, the menu, you know, get the truck service, make sure the battery Bank's all good. Do we have the solar lighting? This, 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 tick, 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 tick. So we start that preparation a year in advance. First events might be at um, Karajini, which is part of a festival. They help to promote our dinners. And then we go into the next town and that's just self-promotion, open to the public. And, you know, all these events, we just have so much support and people have been coming to our dinners from day dot who bring back new people which we're very very grateful for so much planning the advertising um making sure we've got enough staff so from weekend to weekend it's like somebody going all right i'm going to set up a pop-up dinner in the middle of somebody's paddock (laughs) in some beautiful bushland and then going all right how do we do this because we do have the truck. It's not a food truck. It's just a truck that we open up and set everything up. But every location is different. Like the lighting's different at every location. We need to make sure that there's toilets available. Is there water there? Um, is there power? No. Okay. Do we have a generator? How, how do we set it up? Are we getting people bussed in or are they driving? Who's doing the smoking ceremony and the welcome to country? Would they like to sit down for dinner? Um, what are their dietary requirements? What are their totems? You know, we really need to put a lot of thought into every single element of the dinner. And for us, it's it's more than just about the food. It is about the overall experience. So we really want to create something that you can't just have in a, you know, a dining room. So, yeah, pl- there's a lot of planning. <laughs> planning <laughs> oh, my goodness. You've just blown my mind. Like even just saying, oh, is there electricity? Is there water? Oh, is there toilets? Oh, I- and I'm thinking, oh, my God, my brain skipped straight past that. I was like, all right, what's for dinner? Like yeah. <laughs> it just, that is incredible. So who's the real brains behind this operation? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it is a huge team effort. My partner, Steph, you know, since having our little fella, Tao, he's, you know, he takes up a lot of time and it's incredible, but it's been a little bit harder for her to 
to come to the events and, and run run the floor. She's still doing all the behind the scenes stuff. She's a wizard. She is a wizard. She is a wizard. And we've we've had some incredible chefs over the years. And at the moment, Liz is in the kitchen with us full time, doing an incredible job to sort of take the pressure off me to be able to do some of the other stuff, fix the truck, make sure everything's packed in, <laughs> all all the stuff that's not quite as fun. But um <laughs> there's the three of us myself. Steph and Liz and then we have an incredible team around us like our family um my sister and you know a lot of a lot of our friends have just put so much time and effort in work so hard for very little you know reward we we have friends all over western australia now who like without them further wouldn't be here anymore there's people who are like yeah come and stay there's beds here for you you know we'll, don't worry about making dinner tonight we know you guys are prepping we'll sort that out so without the support of our friends and family and, and all the guests who have come, like there's no way we'd still be here, you know, 10 years down the track. Yeah. At this point, you know, you've got the little one and, and having that growing family and whatnot. Do you find that there's points where you have to leave them behind? or is- Yeah, we're finding that we're, we're doing that a little bit more at the moment, especially with, you know, the last couple of years have been really challenging with, not being able to travel as far. He was six weeks old and we did the North Tour. So he did 15,000 kilometres in the truck. And he was, you know, just a tiny little fella. So there's a lot of events where, you know, if it's close by, and when I say close by, you know, within under the six-hour sort of drive, um, Stephen Tower will come up and, you know, she's, she's still running events and we might have somebody hang out with him for, you know, a few hours while, while we do it, do the event. But there's certain things like next week when we go to Christmas Islands, they're going to be back here doing all the hard work while we're over there. So times have changed, but for us, it's really important to, to make sure that he gets to experience all these beautiful places and locations and oh. meet the people as well. Lucky boy. Yeah. <laughs> He's done more kilometres than me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's well-travelled. He's a well-travelled yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah, to tell us about the Indigenous communities you work with and, and why they're so important to you and, and how they contribute to what Fervor does. Yeah, so over the years we've made some some great friends and have some great relationships. I think without communities and, you know, the Aboriginal engagement that we've had, once again, like fervor wouldn't be what it is. I've learned so much about ingredients and how to cook, but also like I touched on before, the important stories behind those foods, which is, it's just, it just makes you so, so much more respectful of the food that you're cooking and, and gives you that real connection. So for me, for, for all of us at fervor what we really recommend is for everybody to go and spend time on country, do do cultural tours, support communities that are around you because it's the oldest living culture in the world, continuous living culture in the world. And they've looked after this land and these ingredients for millennia, like thousands of years. So there's just so so much knowledge to be heard and be, you know, they, they're very sharing as well. A lot of, a lot of our friends have just been so generous in the stories that they've shared with us. And for us, some of these stories are just, they're things that I look back on and just go, oh my gosh, like 
you're so right. You're so right. It's been it's been a big learning curve, and without a lot of these communities and people we've worked with, like yeah, further wouldn't be what it is. Do you feel like your customers really get it? You know, with what you're doing, it can look maybe a little bit gimmicky because you're in this incredible location in the middle of nowhere. But that's actually not really what it's about. Like you said, it's always been about connection, about stories, about bringing people together. Do you feel that your clients really understand that, like what you are trying to do? Or, or does sometimes it come across maybe that they're not quite getting it and it's just another dinner to them in a kind of in a bit of a fancy, a fancy location? I think that the majority of people um, who come to our dinner, who, who know what we do, are coming for that reason to really experience it. Yeah. We, you know, over the last few years, there's been events that we've done where it's not a, a standard fervor event for 40 people. It's like, you know, it might be a, um, a larger 100, 100 people, 150 people, and it does get lost then. You don't have that yeah. intimacy. You don't have that ability to share stories. Majority of the time, they walk away and they really understand, but it's also, it's quite hard to tell a story over a short period of time while you're cooking for 40 people. Yeah. We probably could do a lot better with the social media side of things and, and tell a little bit more of a story leading up to events. But I think that people who come to the special fair events where we're just cooking for 40 people in a remote location, they can, they really feel that there, you know, there might be a journey to the location and, and a welcome and, and that story and those ingredients. They do walk away going, all right, well, that was something different and there was that connection and story. Do you still occasionally look up from plating and, and look around and have a bit of a pinch pinch yourself moment and think, oh, wow, you know, it's easy to get lost in it, but just to really take it all in yourself? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And, and and I don't think that gets old, you know, like, and, and 10 years down the track, you know, we, the last couple of years have been harder and, you know, we found that we're doing what we can to just stay afloat and pay the bills. Because people look at us and go, you guys are crazy. Like, what? How, how do you do what you do and why do you do that? Like, hospitality is hard enough. Why do you make it trickier? But when we do those events and you look up and you see people smiling and, and, and people come up to you at the end of the night and they go, wow, like, I don't think that you'd ever get me to eat, you know, green ants and scallop, you know. And this is coming from a farmer who eats, you know, meat and three veg and they're like that was delicious you know you're sort of encouraging people to push the boundary a little bit and and experience different things and when people come up and and say look that was that was incredible and something totally different for us it it's all worthwhile and and stepping back when you're taking some plates around the back to the dishwashing area and you step away from the truck and there's no lights and you look up and you're just under the stars and you're 70, 80 kilometres from a town, sometimes more, sometimes hundreds of kilometres, and you're just like, wow, this is this is incredible, you know, and you reflect back on spending time on country and, and the prep and then you think about, wow, these our guests have driven for like hours to get here. It is really special and sometimes we have to step back and go, we are extremely lucky to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Just because I'm so curious, let's take you back a little bit in time. And I'd love to know what what was your aha moment of this is what I'm going to do? 
been in Melbourne, you've been overseas. What was the pivotal moment for you to go, this is the mission I have now and this is what I'm going to pursue? I had in mind that I really wanted to focus on native Australian ingredients for quite some time, for quite a few years. And there's a lot of restaurants that I've worked at using these ingredients, but it's always just a little bit of wattle seed or some, mm. you know, um, some samphire here or lemon myrtle. And it just didn't, it didn't really make sense in the dish or it might just be an afterthought. And when I did, um, I did an around the world trip in 2012 for a year and worked a lot of different restaurants and really inspiring. And I said to my sister, I was like, okay, when we get back, let's, let's do a pop up and we'll just see how it goes. And that first dinner went, it was, it was great. It was in Margaret River, open air barn, a permaculture place. And it was a lot of hospitality people and friends that we work with. So we had a lot of support there and some really great feedback. And it was not our second dinner, our third dinner. Third dinner was the one where we packed up a ute. It was an old Triton ute, 400,000 kilometres. Yeah, the Triton. Yeah, the Triton. <laughs> and, and we drove... Seven, seven hours from Bustleton up to a little town called Muck and Budin. And then from Muck and Budin, we drove 70 kilometres out to the dinner location. So this is the first time we've done an event with, you know, no power, no lights, no toilets. And we were so not prepared for that. We did not have a clue what we were doing. And we got out to this location and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, we, we had a look at the location the day before. So... We had to borrow tables from the golf club. <laughs> Went, well, where are we going to get chairs from? And our mate's like, all right, I'll, I'll organise that. And his family member who owned a farm close by brought all these hay bales. <laughs> nice. We're on a beautiful hill and over the back of the hill there was a Kwandong tree that was in season. It was, it was perfect. The day that we were setting up, so much was going on, so many different things that we hadn't thought of, like, hang on, there's barely any gas in this gas bottle for the barbecue. We don't have a dishwashing station set up. We there, there was so much stuff that we didn't have. And we had 40 people booked for this dinner. We didn't even have enough plates. We were scrounging around for more plates. Wow. And we've just, this is the first dinner that we've done. I think we did nine courses. So, you know, we had emu egg and we had, there was a barramundi farm, uh, aquaponics barramundi farm up there. We, put so much effort into this event and then we're like how are we going to pull this off we don't have anything and everybody from the community was just like yeah somebody make a phone call and say hey can you bring some dishwashing liquid they're like yeah no worries so we had people (laughs) who are paying guests for this dinner who are bringing all this equipment out for us love it it was it was incredible it was it was such a such a good dinner the community come together to help us out and for me I think that was one of those moments when I was like let's continue to do this let's be a pop-up forever you know and and that's allowed us to travel explore see see new ingredients meet new people and I think after that one that was one of the hardest events we've ever done but after that I'm like this is great. This is incredible. It really pushed us and it was just a beautiful experience. So yeah, that was a, that was a big moment where I was just like, wow, this is cool. Let's stick with it. That's Mm. awesome. And you said your sister was a part of that as well. So she within the hospitality industry or was she just like, I'm with you, let's do this venture. And then it's kind of gone from there. 
Yeah, so my sister Bree, she's always done sort of front of house. She came over and met up with me in, I think it was in Copenhagen. I've just finished working or staging at Noma. So I was, I was pretty shattered. It was like a lot of long days and hard work. And we took, I think it was about three or four weeks just to travel through Europe. And it was a good time to talk about my experiences and, and what we wanted to do. And she flew home and then must have been four months later, I came back and she's like, all right, well, let's do it. I think it was March 2013 is when we did our first event and she did a lot of the front of house organising. I was still working at another restaurant. I was back at a museum prepping every morning before going to work and then after work. And we finished on a Saturday night at 1.30 in the morning and I talked to Hadley and Kaz and they're like, yep, whatever, just they helped out with equipment and whatever and all the guys in the kitchen, I think there were six of us and, and some front of house people, jumped in the car at 1.30 in the morning on a Saturday night after we'd finished a 12-hour day at a museum. Wow. And we drove down south two and a half hours with the whole kitchen team plus some front of house, two cars. Got down there on the Sunday morning, a couple of hours sleep, got up, prepped, and then did this dinner on the Sunday night, which was a five-course with with five different drinks and we were so not organized and we <laughs> it just shows how incredible the team was to be able to bring it all together and my sister had been down down in Margaret she was living in Margaret River at the time so it organized all that side of things. So yeah, I guess it's a very, very much a a family and friends kind of restaurant, you know. I, I, like without with all without all these people, it just it just wouldn't happen. Do you feel like having this huge venture? I just feel like every time you say something, it's like it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. What do you feel it's taught you from a personal perspective about people and what you can do and what you can achieve? There must be so much you've learned from this. Yeah, definitely. Don't go into hospitality to make money. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're we're so lucky. Like we're, you know, I'm so passionate about this. I get to do what I love. I've, I've learned that I have incredible family and friends. We're so so lucky. I wake up every day. I, I love going to work. I love the people that we get to work with. We get to meet the people who come to the dinners. Looking at it and just sometimes stepping back and going, wow, it's almost 10 years. How do we manage to do that? So I think even though it's not like a smart business move to do <laughs> pop-ups all over the state, for a small group of people, like don't do this if you want to, you know, sell <laughs> your business or or make big bucks. But we we're extremely happy, and you know, a lot of hard work goes into it, but it, it's definitely worth the reward. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and that's definitely the common trend. When we've spoken to a couple of people now, that from the brewing perspective to pastry makers, you know, and it's the same message: is don't go out on a venture expecting to make money, you're doing it for the passion, you're doing it for the love and the reward you find from it. One of the questions I had for you was, have you found that from your experiences, the knowledge you've gained from your travels and and being educated by all these different people of the land, is that has that really influenced from the small portion of time it sounds like you spend at home <laughs> and, and, and with the dinners or, or food you make at home, have you found that you've really put that back into just even the simple foods that you cook for yourself. What do you find, you know, you're cracking out the two-minute noodles 
<laughs> when you hope having that spare minute. Yeah, look, I think um, we eat our fair share of two-minute noodles and toasties. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to deny that, but it's definitely changed the way we look at food and, and how we cook and how we prepare food, you know, trying to do things in a sustainable way and, and grow food ourselves and source food from, you know, communities or Aboriginal-run businesses to, to support them. Native Australian foods are some of the healthiest in the world. So, you know, whenever I'm sort of feeling like I'm getting a little bit sick or a little run down, I'm just like, okay, handful of muntries or kakadu plum or kwandong. And I mentioned earlier that we don't eat a lot of meat at home, but we do eat a whole heap of kangaroo. We eat emu and we find that, you know, we're, we're only in a small place here, but we have all these native plants growing around us. So we've got, you know, warrigal greens that we can grab from the garden. There's Geraldton wax and there's, there's muntries and midgen berries growing in the garden. There's lemon myrtle, cinnamon myrtle, aniseed myrtle, all these, all these different things. Our little veggie patch or herb garden is sea celery and samphire and sea blight and saltbush and all these things that we can just go out and, and use in our cooking every day. So yeah, we're, we're utilizing these ingredients as much as we can. And like I say, they are some of the healthiest in the world. So yeah. Did you find that it was really hard to inject yourself yourself into that community to have access to this knowledge or was it just very forthcoming? You were just able to approach one person and it snowballed from there? No, it's, it's definitely taken a lot of time and a lot of visits and sitting and, and listening and engaging with people. I think at, at first it was, you know, being in the Southwest, there's Indigenous community around here, but there's not as many places where you can just pick up a phone and say, hey, can I come out on country or do a cultural tour? So it's really, it's really taken a lot of time to build relationships, especially in the Southwest. And now we have some incredible friends down here. I think that, you know, as we go further north in WA, there's so many people that we go and visit each time we go up there. And the great thing is that each time we go back, we're showing something a little bit more or, you know, there's always different things and different stories and different locations. So for me, definitely changed our perspective perception on on everything the, the the way we live the way that we cook it's yeah it's invaluable for sure you know i must admit over the past couple of years which it's been hard on everyone let's let's say to I, say the least <laughs> yeah I, I just like i can honestly say that i probably i lost a little bit of faith in humanity during the past couple of years you know even just listening to what you're saying like i can still hear the joy and i can see you smile when you're talking about what you do and the people especially about the people and the community that you meet and you just call everyone friends Seriously, you've just restored my faith in humanity that people like you still exist. Um, I'm still fangirling, by the way. <laughs> I digress. But when are you going to come over to the east? Far Is that out. in the works? I'm really intrigued. And I tell you what, I've only had kangaroo once and it was bloody delicious. But yes, please tell us you're coming to the east. Yeah. Well, look, we've been planning to do an east coast tour for three years and then there was a certain couple of years that restricted <laughs> us from doing that. I mean, we've done we've done a few things. Um, I've been lucky enough to do stuff with Matt Stone and Joe Barrett um, and the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival and some stuff in Sydney. Yeah, I guess it's logistics are a little tricky to, to take the truck over. And I won't give away any secrets yet, but we we are you know we are planning on 
trying to do tour over there. It might not be next year, but definitely in the years to come. And in between that time, we'll, we definitely have um, some plans to fly over and do a few small events here and there. So love to get to the East Coast more for sure. Yay. Well, can I tell you where you need to go? And this is just <laughs> like, I don't even know whether it's actually possible. Lake Mungo. Oh, yes. Yes. Would absolutely love that. That to me is just like, this is the epitome. You there, we're yeah. coming down and I'm just like, yeah. this is my bucket list. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. It's just one of the most important places in Australia. There's a, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there is. All right. Well, I think it's time that we ask you our three standard questions. We ask our guests, if that's okay. Yep. So if your career had no bounds or if you felt like based on your venture and the boundaries that you potentially have faced, if there wasn't any of that, do you think your career would be any different today compared to, you know, when you're growing up, you had this one vision of what you were going to do and now you're here? Or do you feel like that you're always going to be where you are today? I could be anywhere, to be, to be honest with you. I think um, I think surfing led me to, to where I am and I'm really glad that I sort of ended up here, definitely. That's awesome. All right, question number two. What would you say to your 15-year-old self now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves uh, this question. It's yeah, great. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I'd tell myself to settle down a little bit. I was... <laughs> A bit of a rat bag when I was 15. I hung out with friends. I um, surfed a lot. We partied a lot. It was, I don't know, I'd probably tell myself to pull my head in a little bit, I'd say. <laughs> Love it. And the last question is, what do you say to people who say they're not creative? I think that everyone's creative, you know. I'd, I learn something new from each person I talk to and I'm surrounded, like a lot of my friends are really creative artists and musicians and chefs and people from all walks of life. But I think that, you know, I'm even blown away by creativity that I see from from mates who don't think they're creative. You know, they're, they're tradies and some of the stuff that I see them do, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is that is creative. Like, how you, you just have to adapt to what you do. And yeah, it, it, it really surprised me. I think that there's creativity in absolutely everyone. You've just, you know, you just got to really embrace it. And yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. Well, can I just say this has been an absolute pleasure for us. I feel very honoured and humbled that you agreed to chat with us because from me, who I, I've, I've researched a lot about you and um, I just think what you do is incredible. You're a beautiful, humble person and I just feel so privileged to be yeah, sitting here chatting with you. I really, really, really appreciate it and you, we have so much to learn from you. Make sure you keep sharing all your knowledge with everyone because it's so important. Thank you, ladies. It's been yeah. um, been great to chat. Thank you very much for having me. Keep getting your voice heard because I think it's definitely important and a lot of people need to hear it. But you're not getting off that easily. Okay. <laughs> so finally, Paul Iota Isco, can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop. Woo! <laughs> 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 <Yes>. <laughs> for now, we'll leave you with that and have a great week. Cheers. Bye. 